you have every action in your body to repair completely, to replace completely. Every organ can turn over completely. Even your brain replaces every seven years. So you have got an opportunity to completely transform the body you're living in right now. And that ecosystem around you is the secret. That is the missing piece. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and it is my distinct privilege and pleasure to bring to you Dr. Zach Bush. Hey, Dr. Zach, how are you today? Thank you, Ella, for having me. So glad to be here. Yeah, so so I've just got to get this on the table straight away. Dr. Zach, you are a triple board certified physician. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> it is true and not something I set out in life to do. Um, like almost every life and career that I've come in contact with, they're never linear. And mine was very nonlinear in many ways. I actually uh, didn't get into medical school the first year I applied and so started a construction company and then reapplied, got in the second time. So I was hardly on the uh, break, breakneck speed to 17 years of training, but uh, got into medical school and uh, for the first time really found my stride. I actually, before medical school, identified myself as somebody who didn't enjoy school, didn't like tests, didn't like uh, a lot of the aspects of school. And so uh, it was a birthing experience with babies in the Philippines. It was a volunteer mission trip that I did for six months living over in the Philippines uh, when I was 19 that actually changed my direction from engineering into medicine. And the magic that really happened during that time was human human contact. So there was an indelible experience of human trust and experience that I had there that really inspired me to move towards the medical field. And I, knowing I didn't like school that much and I was kind of a B plus, A minus student, I thought, well, I better go into nursing or something like that. And so I looked at being a nurse practitioner and then subsequently found out about the, the physician assistant tract and was there for a bit during my pre-med years. And then eventually one of my friends, I was I had a, a landscaping job digging mud, mud holes and fixing sprinkler lines. And one of my friends digging a mud hole said, you should just be a doctor. And I was like, that sounds good. And so that was about all the premeditated experience that went into a, a, a then 17-year journey into a triple board certified state. So um, what happened was that um, I got profoundly amazed by the human body during medical school and uh just increasingly fascinated to this day with the intricacies and fantastic relationships that exist within a single body. And that led to, you know, this huge desire to have a, a positive impact on my patients. And of course, at the end of medical school, we take that uh, oath that uh, we're going to do no harm and we're going to bring good things to our patients. And and then very quickly, I felt like, you know, I w must not know enough because I w was seeing harm done by, by my hands and certainly by the medications that I was utilizing as an internal medicine doctor. I went into 
my first specialty in internal medicine and uh, practicing as a primary care physician and seeing my patients decline despite you know better blood sugars or better blood pressure on the paper they were feeling worse they were getting worse and I, I was seeing a lot of side effects to the medications I was putting people on so that just kept driving me down this avenue to learn more because surely if I knew enough then I, I would figure out the tools and, and figure out the toolbox that I needed to really bring health to my patients and so I went into endocrinology and metabolism and that is the specialty of hormones and uh, metabolism is the focus on mitochondria and how they take the fuel on your plate and turn it into usable uh, fuel for your body and so uh, I became an expert in kind of uh, that stuff clinically and then during that time I was doing research in cancer and so uh, I was cancer under the microscope and endocrinology in clinic and uh, that led to some pretty major epiphanies in the end that perhaps there's not lots of different types of diseases. Perhaps there's only one disease, and that's this thing called chronic inflammation. And that was kind of the beginning of a more holistic mindset for me where I started to pull back from my chemotherapy development in the lab and started to think, well, nutrition may be far more potent than anybody's ever mentioned to me. I had almost no nutrition education uh, going through all those years of, uh, of training. As time went on, I found that the most rewarding thing that was going on in my life at that time from a clinical standpoint was actually death and dying because uh, it was the one area where I felt like, wow, this is really some place where I'm not doing harm. I can actually really bring a positive experience to my patients at the bedside in the dying process. And I found myself to be pretty good at speaking and, and spending time with, with families as their loved ones were passing and transitioning to the other side of the veil. And that experience uh, led to uh, the opportunity for me to uh, get another board specialty in uh, hospice and palliative care. And uh, it was a really amazing time. I've learned so much from hospice nurses. They're some of the most amazing people on the planet. So a real special time to uh, you know, reflect in some ways, I guess, that my career started with the birthing of children and then in some ways my academic uh, state kind of closed with the, the, the second birth uh, on the other side of life there. And uh, everything I do now, I think, is uh, trying to heighten the quality of life between those two and trying to get the same level of awareness and connectivity that we have at that moment of birth and at the moment of death at both of those points in our lives. And uh, I'm eager to be a part of a new science and a new era where we start to be able to bring that level of clarity and that level of intensity of life to the life between birth and death. And so that's, in a nutshell, 17 years of triple board certified crazy. <laughs> that is um, beautifully stated. I want to fill in a few blanks for everybody because you're too modest to have done so. Dr. Zach went from, I think you said digging holes, something of that nature. Um, <laughs> you were president of your medical school class at the University of Colorado, and you later became the chief resident for the Department of Internal Medicine at the University of Virginia. So so clearly, as a B-plus whatever, you were doing just fine, <laughs> Dr. Zach. <laughs> I suppose I appreciate that, but I, I mean, I think that just speaks to passion more than anything else and all of us have experienced that at moments of our life where uh, I was a B-plus student because I wasn't I, I hadn't found something to be passionate about and uh, when I found medical school yeah. I suddenly found my passion and purpose and it was uh, effortless to, to excel at a, a high level there. 
I just thought it was important to share your credentials with people, and I'll tell you why. I think it is particularly important when we have people with your training, your medical school, and then clinical and practical experience, Dr. Zach, to actually say, wait, hold on, that <laughs> this isn't enough, and this is not the full picture. And when we ignore the integrated side of health, and when we ignore sort of a holistic view of our own bodies, like we're ignoring a great, great deal and throwing pharmaceuticals at our patients isn't going to quite cut it. I, I just think it's so important because a lot of integrative health topics can come off as rather woo-woo, to use a scientific term. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so if you don't mind, I'd like to borrow your credibility because I think it's so important. I think we can move mountains when we bring people like you um, and amplify your voice. So a long way around saying thank you for your journey and thank you for being here and thanks for talking with us today. Well, we sh I sure appreciate your time. The reality is, you know, uh, one thing that's clear is I think everybody on the planet right now is having an unprecedented opportunity to find their own genius, their own opportunity to excel. But that I'm increasingly witnessing around the world that discovering your own genius can actually make you insane instead of happy if you can't communicate it. And so, uh, what a, you know, this time with you is so critical for me in that uh, without your expertise in getting the message out to to mankind, then all of the exciting discoveries we've made here in the labs in the last few years around human health and gut health. Would, would just infuriate us if, if it wasn't getting out. And so a recognition of what you do every day to uh, impact uh, the humanity around you, and we, can, we couldn't do anything without you. Thank you for that and for starting your Revolution Health Center in Virginia, where you are based. I know that you work with people with leaky gut syndrome, gluten intolerance, autism, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune conditions, and, and the list goes on. I want to talk about some of those things today. And can I start with a really basic question, Dr. Please. Zach? It, we're going to talk a lot about gut health in a, in a way that we haven't talked about it in a, in a level of detail. We haven't talked about it on the show before. But why does gut health... Dr. Zach, why is that so critical for overall health? So the big picture here is pretty amazing in that uh, to have a healthy human life has very little to do with the human cells. And that's why we have so missed the boat on this story in 100 years of academic medicine and incredible scientific advances and everything else. This is <clears throat> breaking news because it seems so counterintuitive that health is outside of the human cell. And uh, the numbers are just extraordinary to look at. And so if you take a look at the ecosystem, so when we're talking about gut health, it's probably more accurate to talk about ecosystem health, or it's perhaps, if not more accurate, at least easier to picture. Because we're not talking about a gut, which just sounds like a tube of tissue that runs from your mouth mm -hmm. to your rectum there. We're talking about an ecosystem that rivals a Costa Rican jungle or a coral reef in complexity. We're talking about 30,000 species that are coordinating an effort to create a balanced environment that can deal with toxicity, that can deal with uh, any sort of adversity, and can take the opportunity to absorb nutrients and strength, strengthen the human body through the absorption of those appropriate nutrients. And so this huge ecosystem is really the thing that we missed. And the amount of work that is done by that non-human ecosystem is extraordinary. If you take a look at uh, a human body, the adult has somewhere around 70 to 100 trillion cells. We are, it's a number that's very difficult to picture. A trillion of anything is hard to say. You know, mm -hmm. It's one of the few numbers that's bigger than our national debt. 
And so <laughs> we've got a situation where we have this massive number of human cells. And so the hubris of saying, well, we're human, we're amazing, was easy to to understand as the science evolved. But then the genome project happened and we found out that we are really not any more complex genetically than the insects around us. A flea, for example, has somewhere around 30,000 genes. The human has less than 25,000 genes. So we have less genes than, than a flea. So we're very, very simple suddenly at the genetic level and that was not discovered until the 1990s. And so suddenly we realized, hold on a second, this doesn't make any sense. There's no way we can build this complicated system of 200,000 proteins that construct these trillions of cells with this simple genome. Uh, we, we fully expected to find 200,000 genes, and we found a tenth of that. The genes that are coding us, it turns out, are largely coming from our bacteria. The bacterial ecosystem that we were just alluding to has over 2 million genes. And so we have 20,000 some, and they have over 2 million genes. If we then take a look away from the genetic side and take a look at the work side of the equation, which is the enzymes. Enzymes are the little machines in our bodies that are folded proteins that are little machines that crank out most of the effort to do anything from produce fuel to detox the cell, whatever it is. That uh, work is done, again, 10 to 1 by bacteria. And so more than 90% of the enzymatic work done in your human body today is done by a bacteria, not by a human cell. And so this is where we're starting to realize when we're talking about gut health, we're actually talking about whole body health. We're talking about the entire system being reliant on this incredible ecosystem and the hard work that it does every day for us. We've talked a little bit on the show, Dr. Zach, about how the modern lifestyle can be really, really tough on that bacteria. But could we deep dive into that just a little bit? And what is an ideal state in the gut, if that even exists anymore? Yeah, so uh, I think that um, we are finding increasing challenge to find that ideal gut anymore. I think that... Uh, you know, our group has discovered that the bacteria are making a communication network. It's the communication between that ecosystem that ultimately we're going to focus into as uh, perhaps the, hmm. you know, the meaning of health is actually communication. If, we, if there's unperturbed uh, communication between these 30,000 species and ourselves, uh, then health just booms forward. There's there's really no possibility for disorder or disease. And so this this kind of uh, picture that we're showing you of this ecosystem in, in your body that's on your skin, it's under your eyelids, it's in your nose, it's in your sinuses, it's in your back of your mouth, it's all the way down through your gut. This huge ecosystem has to be in conversation with you. And the things that are in our environment right now, like you say, that are making this very challenging, um, really comes down to our food chain. And uh, second then to the food chain is our uh, is our lifestyle, you know, where we are increasingly isolated away from nature. And as we unplug from our natural world and we start to live in drywall boxes and cars and air-conditioned offices and we increasingly isolate away from our nature, then the, the ecosystem that fuels our body is going to mirror that. We are going to have the same isolationist effect. And it's, it's a lesson not just for us personally, but I'm sure as a nation as well, as if we're isolationist and we, we try to decrease diversity politically or socially, we, we see 
huge dysfunction happen in our communication. And that's exactly what happens down at the bacterial level is anything we do to take ourselves away from that biodiversity is going to, we're going to have an immediate and consequential loss of communication. And so the big piece that, you know, your doctor is playing in that, of course, is twofold, I would say. If you're uh, a mom or a soon-to-be mom, the first big disruption of this happens to be C-sections. And so uh, I touched a little bit earlier on the fact that my career started birthing babies in the Philippines. Uh, these women would, would birth a baby with almost no effort, so little pain typically, and uh, they were so quick back on their feet, saw very few complications mm. despite the fact that they were often malnourished, they were in horribly uh, filthy settings, and you know, there's all kinds of reasons it shouldn't have been working, and yet it was working beautifully. And then contrast that to my medical school moment where I, my, I made my first rotation OBGYN because um, and, and, it was the one area of medicine I felt like I'd had some experience in. And I was shocked at the death rate we had just in that single month. I watched moms dying on the table with C-sections and complications and sepsis, and uh, it just didn't compute. Uh, and so here we are in these you know, multi-million dollar operating rooms delivering babies by C-section, and they're dying when in these filthy environments of, of the squats of the Philippines, things are thriving with this whole birth process. And so huge contrast there, and, and it was a good lesson. In retrospect, what I was seeing is that uh, there was a very intense connection to ecosystem in, in the poverty environment. And there's a complete isolation from that ecosystem in the hospital operating room. And so if you're going towards that birth process, I would start to think about the ecosystem you want that baby to be born in. And uh, I had the opportunity to birth my son at home, and that was incredible. And I would seriously think about a home birth. I would seriously think about, you know, what what is the ecosystem I'm birthing this child into? And if it's going to be in a hospital setting, and especially if you're going to end up with a C-section, you want to make sure you reintroduce that bacterial environment at the beginning of life for that child. And so um, increasingly, if you ask uh, the OBGYN or you ask the midwife that you're working with, um, they will uh, swab that baby down with your vaginal mucus uh, right after a C-section to help introduce some of that important bacterial flora from the mad mom's birth canal back to that baby. You want mom's birth canal floor on that baby, not the hospital bacteria. You don't want the hospital ecosystem. That's the worst and most, you know, noxious of ecosystems. So make sure you're getting that baby touched quickly and that baby's becoming part of your ecosystem, not the hospital ecosystem. This is fascinating, and I'm not sure it's as widely known as uh, as it could be, Dr. Zach, but you're saying that the vaginal birth obviously serves a purpose with the baby accumulating, being exposed to the bacteria from mom and her ecosystem, and you essentially skip that process if the baby is removed by C-section. And of course, I know that those, those moms that are listening that have had a C-section or intend to do so, I certainly don't want them to feel that they're being condemned in some way. What you're saying is just give that baby the experience to the best of your ability by exposing them to those fluids. Is it that simple? That's definitely, you know, a huge step forward. You know, it's uh, probably not the same as being in the vaginal canal, but it's right. certainly, you know, a huge step forward. And from that more moment forward in life, you have the opportunity to keep connecting that kid back to 
uh, a larger ecosystem. And so it's just the beginning, but it's a critical foothold. And what we see over and over again is C-section babies are going to have a higher rate of uh, a lack of gut intelligence. So they're going to have more food allergies. They're going to have food sensitivities. They're going to be more prone to eczema and uh, asthma. They'll be more prone to seasonal allergies and seasonal sensitivities. Um, they're just going to be uh, unprepared for dealing with that connection to the environment because they are so um, dumbed down at that ecosystem level. And so the opportunity is always there to improve the situation. And so if you've had C-section babies or you were a C-section baby or uh, whatever the issue is, it, it's certainly not a loss of hope there. It's more just an opportunity to say, okay, here, here's a potential deficit, and let's let's make sure we're putting into play some efforts to get that going. So I think you know, swabbing down the child's nose and mouth and and face and body with the vaginal mucus there uh, right away is an important you know first step. And then second step is get that child outside, you know, and uh, sit in the garden for, you know, an hour a day with that kid, letting him, you know, lay on on the grass uh, at a very early age, you know, get the, get the ecosystem in touch with that kiddo and you know, get them booming with that ecosystem. Something that we've lost touch with, I think, in, in general terms, um, to such an enormous degree. I mean, here I am trying to be healthy and trying to expose people to wellness information. And, you know, I might go two months without my feet hitting the earth. But just, you know, say it's winter. Yes. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I just realized, wow, I haven't spent any time standing on the dirt or really spending much time outside at all because it's so easy not to. So I want to, I want to stay in this vein though. And as you were speaking, I'm realizing that we just continue the annihilation of our healthy bacteria. No matter how we're born, we are marketed antibacterial, antibiotics, like everything. We, we've bought into this story that bacteria are in fact bad and we want to keep them away from our children. That can, that can make you crazy when you know the truth. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, antibacterial soap and, and wiping your kids' hands down the moment they get a speck of dirt on them? That sounds to me, I'm just guessing, now like the wrong thing to do <laughs> yeah exactly and and when you do know the truth then it does make you insane because we are absolutely buried in the opposite message you're absolutely right i mean we are taught to fear bacteria we are taught to destroy bacteria um, physicians are prescribing in the united states alone 7.7 .7 million pounds of antibiotics a year <laughs> yeah imagine just Gosh dump truck load after dump truck load after dump truck load of antibiotics going into the humans and of course it starts at such a young age and it usually starts for no good reason which is viral infections like your uh, you know upper respiratory stuff and the ear infections and, and child early childhood and they're getting hammered with antibiotics that have no efficacy on viruses whatsoever and yet parents are told well if the kid has a fever they can't come to daycare um, and if they can only come back if within 24 hours you wait 24 hours from the last fever or you get an antibiotic you know so it's daycare policies I watch every day change prescribing and, and intelligent you know process of drug use um, just because we got to get the kid back in daycare. So, um, you know, it, we start at such a young age with hammering down the ecosystem and you're right. So it starts with, you know, a C-section or just a home environment where there's a lack of contact with the outer world enough. And then suddenly the kid's got ear infections. Well, that's a no brainer. There's going to be a viral predominance. It's going to be very, uh, a weakened immune system if there's not bacteria to combat the viruses. 
which is exactly the pattern. So if you have lots of great healthy bacterial ecosystem, the chance of a fungus getting out of control or a virus getting out of control is very small. Um, and so this is why you know you can see a, a, a cold tear through a single family, and yet one person doesn't get affected at all. Well, their ecosystem was prepared for that that threat, and and it uh, protects them. And so it's very exciting for us to be you know talking about this on the air because wow, what if we all start talking differently? What if we all start thinking from the day one, we got to get these bacteria thriving and we got to be in touch with a bigger ecosystem. And so the, the message is early in life, get out there and early in your parenting career. And if you're past that and you're now an adult that finds yourself like most of us living our lives in drywall squares and air conditioned mm -hmm. spaces, get, get the heck outside. And it just takes so little time to make a huge impact. And so just go sit under a tree just for a few minutes today. Uh, if it's raining, experience that. I mean, we have this tendency, oh, no, it's raining, so I'm going to run to my car. Holy smokes. I mean, what, what a missed opportunity. The, a rain shower is a magical thing on the skin. It's a magical thing for the human spirit. But, uh, you know, the reality is, wow, why are we running from nature? Why do we see it as a threat? Why do we see it as a disruption of our day if nature is there? Um, and so we, we should all be constantly reminding each other of like, oh my gosh, let's get the heck outside. Let's eat out, eat lunch outside today. Let's, let's sit outside and take our shoes off for a moment and just stick our feet in it. And it makes you feel like a five-year-old kid running through the field again, just that couple minutes of your feet in the grass, uh, transports you away from the stress of your work, the stress of your day, just get your toes in the grass and the soil. And then this weekend, just go out in, in your yard or go out in a park and touch a plant, you know? When was the last time you, you touched and breathed the bark, the bark of a tree? It's, you know, we are missing the tactile experience of nature. We are missing uh, an invitation that nature's always got for us to bring us back into the fold. And so uh, if you're finding yourself listening to this because you're not thriving, start here. Start, start to reconnect out there um, and, and get in touch. I love that some of the first steps can just be so simple. And obviously, when we think of ecosystem in the traditional sense, we think of our, our earth and the earth sciences. Can you explain the exchange that occurs? Yeah, yeah. so you know, it's a fascinating thing that you know, we've been looking to this industry of probiotics for the last few years as kind of our definition of gut health. Um, which is far from the truth. And so we've got this mindset of uh, we have to eat our bacteria and the bacteria are in our gut. So that's, that's an easy conclusion to come to. But it's really not terribly accurate. Uh, the vast majority of our contact with that outer ecosystem happens at our skin, in our nasal passages and in our upper airway system for uh, where we breathe. And so when you go pull a weed from the garden or, or you just go walk outside, there's plumes of bacteria that are and fungi and all kinds of interesting ecosystem that are going airborne around you. And it, you, you have the same stuff in your house. You have a different ecosystem. It's a very narrow ecosystem of fungi and yeasts and weird stuff in the house. Um, and so if you're just breathing in the home, you're going to have a very narrow system that's being seeded from the air around you. When you go outside, huge, complex ecosystem is airborne around you. And so start to just focus on breathing an ecosystem. And so when you're out in the garden, you're pulling weeds, take a deep breath. Um, that scent is carrying with it life itself. It's carrying this incredible ecosystem back into your body. And so that's the relationship is we are going to breathe our ecosystem more than we will eat it. 
Well, we've talked about fermented foods on the show before. We've talked about probiotics and the roles that those can play. I'll be honest with you. People ask me a lot what probiotic I have settled on, and I have never promoted one particularly for two reasons. One is it hasn't been magic for me. And number two is my understanding is if you're going to take probiotics, then you should actually change them up and actually aim for diversity. But I would love for you to educate us on the fallacy of thinking that popping a few probiotics are actually going to solve our problem. Yeah, you would think that a $30 billion industry of probiotics would be based on science, and yet it is not. (laughs) We have really no scientific evidence that taking probiotics uh, for any period of time is helpful to the human body. And it's pretty obvious when you take a look at this ecosystem issue as to why a probiotic is falling so short. Um, If you flip your probiotic around on the back of the label, typically there's around five species. Some of them will have as few as three. Some of them will have as many as seven to ten. Uh, But you're in this, you know, usually less than 10. There's a couple on the market that have more than 10. Um, But whether you have, you know, 3, 5, 7, or 24, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you have this tiny little range of species that you're now introducing at extremely high number. And so the, the probiotic industry has gotten famous for bragging on how many copies of the, each bacteria it has. And 35 billion bacteria, it says on the label, or 50 billion, and now there's 100 billion. There's even one on the market now bragging a trillion bacteria. And so you think, oh my gosh, that sounds so good. I need, I need bacteria good, that's good. And, and that, you know, before I say anything bad about the probiotic industry, we should say, well, thank goodness we are finally embracing the reality that maybe bacteria are good for us. You know, that's, that's a major step forward for us. But we definitely don't want to stop at the probiotic because uh, if you start taking three species or 10 species at 35 billion or 50 billion copies a day, you're going to quickly start to move away from a complex integrated ecosystem of 30,000 species and you're going to move yourself towards a monoculture of just these five species. And so the last thing you want to do is be on a probiotic long term. You don't want to be constantly hamming your body with the same five species that is not health. That is not gut intelligence. That is not a, a, a complex or balanced ecosystem. And so why do people go on probiotics? Well, first, it's really the only tool that we've been handed. We say you know, every single article coming out in, in academic medicine now says something about the gut health or gut connection to disease or whatever it is. And so then we go out into the health food stores and they say, well, we have probiotics and we have digestive enzymes. Those, that, that's our gut health section. And so just because there's been a lack of tools in this environment has led to this overuse of uh, ineffective tools. Now, I say ineffective, but some of you out there are saying, well, no, I actually felt better when I went on a probiotic. And that's definitely possible because you may have had five or seven dominant species that were really not beneficial to your health. That was a dominant force. And then you overwhelm that with five or seven species that were of, of better health benefit. And so you felt an initial improvement. Um, and so that, if you separate out the placebo effect, I think it's a tiny percentage of people that actually have some sort of measurable benefit in that first couple of weeks. But then if you talk about the talk to those people, you know, six months or 12 months later, you say, you know, how's your gut? And they're going to reflect back to you that, you know what, it's still the same. It may have slightly improved in those first few weeks on my probiotic, but I still have bloating. I still have irritable bowel syndrome. I still have intermittent diarrhea or constipation or whatever it is. They, they didn't really fix the initial problem. There was just a, a sense of improvement. And so then they got stuck in the rhythm of this must be what I do. And by and large, what happened is they got stuck on the same probiotic and they're just overwhelming their system now 
with this monoculture. And so pull yourself off the routine of probiotics. And um, the only time I really reach for a probiotic in my clinic is if somebody just got hammered with an antibiotic or chemotherapy or something where I know they just got annihilated uh, in the ecosystem. Then you can throw a probiotic on there for a few weeks if you want. But there is a second issue with probiotics that is worth pointing out. So number one problem is, boy, not nearly enough species. There's certainly not an ecosystem there. Number two problem is it's not even human ecosystem that you're consuming there. Uh, the 99% of the, uh, the probiotics on the market are from uh, derived from the intestines of cows rather than humans. Mm. And so mm. uh, we, we know this is probably a problem because cow intestines are vastly different than human intestines. They, they, they are of the class of rumen where they, they chew their cud and they have a totally different digestive process. Uh, they have four pouches. They don't have a stomach. They've got no no small intestine, large intestine, just a much, much different environment. And, the, and, the, and so for us to go to that cow intestine and say, well, here's where we're going to get the healthy bacteria from, what happens with that is those bacteria can really never set up a, a balanced ecosystem in the human gut because they're not engineered for it. That, that's not their niche in the, in, the, in the bigger ecosystem out in the world. So I, I find it fascinating that perhaps taking a few weeks of cow bacteria might actually give you some relief. If that's true, wow, we must have a really devastated ecosystem in your gut and, and we need to start getting you outside, get you back in touch with your bigger ecosystem and get communication started. And so that's the interesting thing uh, that our science has been unraveling is the intelligence of the gut is not actually by just giving a probiotic or giving back a few species. The intelligence is getting down into the metabolites or these breakdown products from the bacteria. That's where the magic really starts to happen. Okay. I want to talk about this because I want to understand what you just said. And I love your, I love that you talk about the intelligence of the gut. So I want to come right back there, but I know my people and they will have some questions about probiotics because you just shook their world up. So let me ask you some of the questions that they have for you right now. What, what I do understand is if you're taking an antibiotic, we take far too many antibiotics, at least in the Western world. And if we do find that we do need to take one or our, our children do, or someone that we love, that it's a, a good idea to consider taking a probiotic during that antibiotic period as well as right after? Is that true or false? I, I would put that in the unknown category. Okay. That's that's the only time that it, it makes some sort of logical sense. Okay. Um, that, okay, well, maybe we could use some good bacteria at that moment. But in reality, there's no evidence out there that taking a probiotic during antibiotic use or right after is actually going to improve your health. I think that there are people that have you know, are able to identify in their own personal body. And I trust this. I trust my patients when they say, I do this and I feel better. I'm like, well, for goodness sakes, please do that then. So if you're one of those who says, you know, if I get exposed to an antibiotic for a urinary tract infection or whatever it is, and I take a probiotic, I get less diarrhea, I get less bloating, I feel better after, well, for goodness sake, take your probiotic during that time then. But if you're not in the habit of running out for a probiotic, I, I'm, I would be, it would be impossible for me to scientifically tell you that's going to be beneficial for you. Okay. For those who do, in fact, take a probiotic and have no intention of stopping, should they change it up? Should they switch between brands on a weekly please, basis? Okay. Please do. Yeah. And, and don't take it every day is an interesting concept because you know mm -hmm. if you're taking it every day you're you're keeping your body from the opportunity to make adjustments with that information so here you are pounding it with 35 or 50 billion copies of a couple bacteria give that body time now to to react to that give that ecosystem to respond to that and then try to do its own balance so think about if you're chronically on these and, and you're taking them all the time 
what if you took it twice a week instead of every day? Or what if you took it, you know, uh, two days uh, in a row, once a week, or whatever it is, you know, find it, find a different pattern where you, know, you start to look to your bigger ecosystem. You mentioned fermented food, and we should probably touch on that because it's a it's an important difference um, out there in the, in the fermentation process. So, if you go to the store and you buy sauerkraut, that's a probiotic. That's three species of lactobacilli that was introduced, or maybe one species of lactobacilli that was introduced to uh, the saltwater brine, and and the company made cabbage out, uh, into sauerkraut. It's really no different than a probiotic. In contrast to that, if you go to your health food store and buy a high-end fermented sauerkraut or sour reuben or the beets, the turnips, all these other cool things mm-hmm. that are now fermented, and it says wild fermentation on the back, now you're talking. So wild fermentation is exactly how food has been fermented for tens of thousands of years. You basically make salt water, you dump your food in there, and then you just let it sit. And the bacteria that arrives there is from the air. We already reflected that we get our bacteria largely from breathing. That's exactly how you're supposed to ferment your food. Let it breathe. Let that crock breathe through that towel that's thrown over the salt water. Let it breathe. Let it absorb the bacteria from the environment. And it's going to be hundreds and hundreds of species of lactobacilli and all kinds of other interesting species that end up in there. There will be fungi. There will be all kinds of good stuff in there that's now digesting and processing the nutrients in that food and creating a much different bioavailable nutrient source for you. So get some wild fermentation back into your kitchen and it will transform your gut compared to any probiotic. And it's pennies on the dollar. Is that the difference, say, between making your own kombucha and then buying store-bought bottled kombucha? It, it, yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, with the case of kombucha, you're 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 growing that you know, the mother there, and now now you're over in the fungal category rather than the bacterial category, largely. But if you're doing your zones at home, you are going to have a more diverse. Uh, fungal contribution to that and you're gonna have a more diverse uh, bacterial contribution to that so uh, that fermentation process done at home done in a wild type environment is always going to be far more interesting the one industry that i you know i don't know if this is useful to mention but i think it's pretty fascinating the the one culture that has mastered fermentation more than any other is arguably the japanese the Japanese are famous for miso, which is uh, there's a number of different types of beans that they ferment into miso. Black miso is like the highest regarded food in Japan, and uh, a black miso has to be fermented for 50 years before it is consumed. A quarter teaspoon of a black miso is probably one of the most profound health reorientation events you could possibly look for. Mm. But in the U.S., you're lucky to find a one-year uh, ferment miso, and so we have very basic, very generic, very dumbed-down versions of miso in this country. Um, they actually don't even export their, the real stuff. <laughs> um, but if you have the opportunity to get some, get your hands somehow on, the, on a good Japanese miso, uh, transformative experience. Do I hear you correctly then? If you can't get traditionally sourced, that even just getting what's available to us, it's a, it's a bit of a powerhouse food? I love miso. I, it's one of my go-tos when I, when uh, you know, if I find myself in a, in a sick environment where my employees are sick or my household is sick, or my kiddos, whatever it is, I, it's one of my go-tos. Instead of chicken broth, I'm going to go to a miso broth. I mean, it's so fast and easy. You got miso paste in the fridge. You just take a teaspoon of that, stir it into a cup of hot water. You're done. It takes thirty seconds to make yourself a cup of miso, and and then. You know, you're going to consume that and you're immediately an improved immune system function. So a uh, huge fan of that miso as a go-to. 
And this is probably a good moment to reflect on, you know, so we're, we're at 7.7 million pounds or so of prescribed antibiotics. And that equates to 833 prescriptions for every 1,000 men, women, and child in our country. So 83% of the population by number is getting exposed to an antibiotic in a given year. Well, now contrast that to how much antibiotic is being put into our food chain. So the meat industry with beef, poultry, and pork leading the way on this consumption of antibiotics is disgusting. And so the United States uses more antibiotic than any other um, country in the world for our meat production. And right now, and as of 2011, we were uh, putting 300 milligrams of antibiotic into every cow um, in a feedlot mm. per kilogram of weight. Mm. And so one-third of the weight of the cow is prescribed an antibiotic by the end of its short life. So in 14 to 16 months of lifespan, a cow weighing 1,200 pounds will consume somewhere around 400 pounds of antibiotic. That is just a revolting statistic. So um, we've got just this unbelievable consumption pattern happening of, in the animal industry. Right now, I mentioned 7.7 .7 million pounds in humans. It's up around 30 million pounds in our animals. Uh, the poultry and pork are now actually uh, seeing more antibiotic um, than especially the pork is just a disaster but um, so we just have this you know devastating effect out there in our animal kingdom and so the food we're eating is stripped of nutrient because it doesn't have the bacterial ecosystem to provide it uh, a healthy body and so we're literally eating diseased and sickened meat and and that's you know a sad and disgusting fact so how do we work toward an intelligent gut if we live in the year and time that we live in, in modern society, Dr. Zach, like where do we even begin? I do want to bring some hope to what sounds like a dismal situation. And the hope is always just bringing it back into your own home. You're, you're a consumer out there. If you're listening to this, you are actually the one that's going to determine the course of our planet. Uh, the big businesses, the big corporations that run your food and, and everything else, they, they are responding to your behavior and your behavior is increasingly saying organic is important my local farmers are important my local csa is important i'm going to only eat you know grass raised grass finished beef or whatever it is i'm going to know my farmer if i'm going to put it on my plate that behavior that has taken hold in this country is absolutely threatening uh, the large chemical uh, system and so uh, there's huge hope that as consumers as we get the knowledge and we apply it to our lives which is not simple. I mean, it, it, and in the end, it takes discipline, right? It takes discipline to break out of the convenience lifestyle that's bred these massive companies into what they are. Uh, Monsanto and companies like this are not, you know, and evil. They, they are the result of us. <laughs> we, we outsourced our food on a massive level, and the companies responded by saying, well, we can produce that much food, especially if we put all these chemicals in the environment. And yeah, it's just a truly astounding, you know, responsibility that we had in creating the, the industry we have. And there's an incredible opportunity to take it right back. And so that's that's what's happening already. And, and the changes are afoot. Uh, um, you know, consumers are saying this is important to get back in touch with our environment, not just, you know, at our Table, but what is the what are the farmers doing in our area? And I start going to farmers markets again. Start shopping at least once a week from a farmers market every summer. Make sure you're supporting a local CSA that'll deliver you a box of organic food, whatever it is. So get get back involved in the in the food chain in a different way. 
one of the most important things, you know, along those lines is just grow one plant. You know, I, it's hard to go and say, okay, I'm going to start a whole garden. If you're not a gardener, don't get depressed by trying to go start, you know, a 17-bed garden. It's going to be a disaster, and then you'll you'll prove to yourself you're not a gardener. And a lot of people don't even have yards. Right. And so just grow one plant, but basil plant. I mean, it just does not need to be complicated. But if on a daily basis you're looking at that basil plant and checking it for need for water, that means you just touch soil. So you just touch soil, you're going to get yourself one plant going and you're going to have a relationship with that nature and it's going to be your reminder, it's going to be your touchstone of I need to get out hiking this weekend, I need to get out of the park, I need to get my dogs further from the home, I need to, you know, whatever it is, uh, it's going to be your touchstone to get back out there and, and change that space. I, I think it's so important to end um, with a, a message of hope and a message to remind us that we're actually in charge of our choices. So while we can't choose necessarily the environment at large, we have so much freedom to choose and to make smaller baby steps and control what we can control. How do you counsel your patients? Like where do they begin and, and what mindset should we take out into the world after getting this kind of education today? The most important thing for you to walk away from, you know, as a listener here, is that you are not broken. Yeah, you you are a te- you have a template for health that is intrinsic to you. Your health is inherent inside of you. You have health at the fabric level, and you know, the longer we keep turning to an industry that calls itself healthcare and yet doles out sick care. Uh, we are going to continue to miss the boat on health. We need to turn inward and look to ourselves as the source of this health and healing process that we are so desperately needing as a nation. And so look into yourself, look at your own life and everything else, and realize that, wow, with these tiny baby steps, even just these few that we've mentioned in this show, you can transform the way in which your body works. And your body is always there to repair. And so you have right now, no matter how sick you might identify yourself or no matter how healthy you identify yourself as right now as a listener, you have all the machinery to take this to another level. You have every action in your body to repair completely, to replace completely. Every organ can turn over completely. Even your brain replaces every seven years. So you have got an opportunity to completely transform the body you're living in right now. And that ecosystem around you is the secret. That is the missing piece. And so when you're so frustrated, you're taking supplements and you're doing this for your you know, your t- vitamin D and you're doing your magnesium, you're doing all these things and you're saying, well, why, aren't, why does my human body still feel so poor when I'm doing so many good things for my human cells? Well, it's probably got to do with the fact that the human cells are only 10% of your reality. You need to get back in touch with the 90% of reality, which is the ecosystem around you. And when you start to re-engage that, the speed at which you can repair and heal and discover a new foundation for life is very fast and furious. Dr. Zach, thank you so much for your time today. What a pleasure. I look forward to coming back. And next time we'll talk about food crops and what we're doing to those. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Have a good one. All right. Thanks so much for having me, Ella. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. 
Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.